Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the New Culture Podcast. I'm your host David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hey, hey. And Crystal. Hello. We're usually also joined by the world's harshest critic, Luke, but because he's a slave to the man, he's unable to join us today. Where, oh, where is my Luke? No. <laughs> we'll survive without him. Are you sure? Yeah. Sure. Who's going to be unnecessarily harsh? I'll tell you what, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. I'll step into his boots. You can, you can step into Luke's big... Big uh, stomping boots. That's right, these big, critically stomping boots. <laughs> if Luke's not here, why did I make all that coffee? <laughs> I don't know. I no idea. Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Minus Luke's opinion. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com Which features additional content not found in the podcast itself. For this episode, we have a popcorn junkie where we'll be discussing the film Immortals and an epic war room on mythology in popular culture. Up first, Popcorn Junkie. Okay, Immortals is the uh, latest offering from director Tassim. Uh, I don't know if he has like any anything else to the rest of his name. Is I'm it? pretty what? sure he has a full name, but he advertises himself as Tassim. Okay, so so. For, for, for the sake of the film, his name is Tassim. I think um, that tells was... you quite a bit about him as a person. But anyway. <laughs> it's a bit personal. <laughs> uh, he was also do, he directed um, The Fall and... The Cell. The Cell. So both visually striking films. So I was looking looking forward to the look of the film, but uh, the film stars our upcoming Superman, Henry Cavill, from The Tudors, and uh, also has a whole bunch of other people in there, so the girl from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, is it? Frida Pinto. Frida Pinto, uh, John Hurt, and uh, Mickey Bruce. Rourke. And that's right, Mickey Rourke is the bad guy. And Mickey, Mickey, my face doesn't move Rourke. <laughs> and Australia's own, Isabel Lucas. That's right. Australia's own, <laughs> as one of the goddesses. So yeah, can we disown her for this film? Uh, yeah, well, that pretty much sums up the film. <laughs> um, does she actually want to claim that she was in this film? Um, yeah, I, this I is, wouldn't be. This is not good. Um, I, we didn't, we didn't have exactly super high hopes, uh, but look, um, I was at least hoping for some kind of epic storytelling. Yeah, you know, some sort of big hero's quest, something. Uh, yeah, at least to sink my teeth into, you know, as far as, um, you know, mythology and mythic storytelling goes. And in fact, I got nothing. Well, Absolutely the, nothing out of that film at the all. The preview pretty much sums it up as a, a, a 300 clone. Yeah. And uh, Tarsan's previous films are very visually interesting. So I was expecting, I was expecting just a, it was like a really fancy looking 300 film. And unfortunately, well, we didn't even get that. Well, I was expecting, given that uh, you know this is meant to be the story of Theseus, hmm. I was expecting some kind of hero's journey. But in fact, um, Henry Cavill's character in this does nothing. Nothing of really any interest in the film whatsoever. So not only do they change the actual story of Theseus himself, but they change it in such a way that he actually now has no story. Yeah, he does nothing. He does does nothing. He's not, accomplishes nothing. He's not pivotal to uh, the final battle. He makes a speech, which is laughingly badly scripted. Um, so much the speech so, in ID four was more inspiring. I, I so much so that I actually was hoping the bad guys would attack halfway through his speech just to shut him up. 
Um, so, to, so to give you a bit of an idea of the plot, it's uh, so they have actually changed the thesis uh, story. So if you're expecting like a, a, a faithful rendition, it is it is not. Uh, so basically, Theseus is uh, no longer royalty; he's just a, a peasant. He's in fact a bastard child. Yeah, a bastard child, and uh, he's uh, he shows uh, remarkable fighting prowess and uh, is uh, much liked by the military people. But uh, other than that, not really of any consequence, really. Yeah, so he's that's... marked. He's marked for greatness by the gods, by Zeus in particular. And for does, no apparent reason. And does nothing great. I know, it's it's, um, it's very strange. It's never fully explained why Zeus just has such an interest in him. He's apparently he's been watching him since he was a child. Yeah. It's like, why? It's, it's not explained at all. It's just p- kind of pointless. Well, the, the pivotal moment when um, you actually expect Theseus to step up and you know actually do something important, um, he, in fact, has to rely on getting saved by the gods. Yeah, so, so, so to give you an idea, so, and also so just to move on a bit with the plot, so it was... Uh, the main bad guy is uh, King Hyperion, or just Ty- is he actually even a king? Yeah, he says I am not your king. <laughs> That's true. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, but he uh, says so that to that he's a very angry ago. man. He's uh, his uh, wife and children were were killed in plague, and he wanted the guys to help him because they didn't because they have a, a policy of no interference. Hey, they the uh, directive. <laughs> he um, has cursed the guys and decided to release the Titans. Who were? Uh, it was a pretty flimsy excuse, really. Yeah. I mean, well, how many you know. people's families died because the gods did, did? Yeah, but none of them were as angry as Mickey Rourke. He's very, very angry. The um, Titans have been imprisoned in Mount Tartarus, which is a human stronghold as well. So they built a stronghold around it in order to keep the Titans secure, and uh, that's his mission: release the Titans, and everybody and else the, has to stop him. And for anybody familiar with the Titans, these Titans bear no resemblance to. In fact, they're kind of just generic, nothing. Mom, They're kind of like the like, sand sand guys from Conan, the new Conan film. Yeah, but at least the sand guys, guys in Conan are kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> These guys, they kind of move like the vampires in I Am Legend. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that's really... And they're just kind of in prison. They look kind of cool. But, yeah, really, there's, there's nothing much about them. Um, they're just there in prison. They escape, they fight, they get beaten. So the main thing that I was interested in this film was, uh, because I'm a big mythology fan, was to see the Theseus story done, and uh, they butchered it, so that was ruined for me. I mean, there's no hero journey of, of any kind. No. I mean, he, uh, None whatsoever. The, the, the big MacGuffin of the film is the bow, the Imperius bow, and uh, it serves no purpose at all in the film other than to get Hyperion into the stronghold, hmm. and then it's subsequently lost and that's it. So, I mean, it appears out of nowhere... He, uh, Theseus finds it, doesn't earn it in any way, shape, or form, and then promptly loses it anyway. Well, before he does, he fires it. He fires four arrows, and and the first three seem to wait for the fourth one to catch up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he fires They're four arrows. They're magic bullet arrows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so the bow. So it's a big deal is made about this bow, but really, it's it's. It's kind of pointless. And, well, I uh, think that's actually pretty much sums up much of what happens in this film. Yeah. A big pointless. deal is made about the bow. It's pointless. A big deal is made about Theseus. He's kind of pointless. A big deal is made about uh, the Oracle. She's kind of pointless. Um, really, pretty much everything in this film is just kind of pointless. It is kind of pointless. I mean, her, her big vision is that King Hyperion is going to betray Theseus and try and kill him. 
which you would expect well, anyway. Of course he's going to do that. He's the bad guy. You don't need an oracle to know that's that. That's the worst vision I've ever seen. We're going to rename this film Mostly Pointless. <laughs> so the second thing was I was expecting a, a visual feast, and uh, unfortunately I didn't get that. I it mean, looked the main... like a Mardi Gras float, the whole thing. <laughs> like it looked cheap, Gras. it looked nasty, and it just looked like it was just trying too hard. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the visual style of The Fall. Um, less so the cell, but the fall is just is brilliant. It's like a, a painting come to life from start to finish. And this, unfortunately, it's like I mean, he obviously had more money, and yet it looks cheaper. It's very it's strange. Like there was some sort of competition to come up with the most bizarre headgear. Yeah. <laughs> was a big fan of head weird headgear. The oracles looked like they had lamps on their heads. It, I actually uh, quite like the designs of the oracles. The ones that uh, are just can't handle it all in this are the, are the gods. <laughs> the big spiky <laughs> Well, no, no, I thought gods. the gods looked, actually looked pretty cool. I don't know. Gods, to me, in films, gods need to be a presence. There needs to be something about something godly about them. And these gods just kind of look like the cast of 90210, just sitting around in Olympus, looking pretty, showing off the... The, the, the pecs and wearing weird headgear. That was... But they still looked cool. I mean, yeah, they had no presence. I'm, I'm totally with you there. They were non-characters. Even Zeus, yeah. the main, he, he was a non-character. He did nothing, really. Yeah. It was not interesting in any way. But they, they at least looked cool. I mean, I think Olympus well, and the gods themselves looked really, really awesome. Yeah. Well, once again, the gods, mostly pointless. Yeah, mostly pointless. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we're not going to go on and on. I mean, obviously... Uh, we didn't like it, <laughs> and uh, this is this is very much uh, just a you know a seemingly big budget film that's really not a big budget film. Hmm. It doesn't really seem to have that great a budget, and everything looks really cheap. But it's trying its hardest to be a big budget film and failing miserably. And it throws in everything cool, you know. It's got cool weapons. It's got cool scenarios. It's got and cool let's action not, sequences. And let's not forget fighting in slow motion because there's nothing we love more here at Nerd Culture Podcast than fighting in slow motion. And it's got that new trend of, of the uh, it's normal motion and then it's slow motion and then it's normal motion again. Yeah. It's like, come on. Go to hell. <laughs> so yeah, so in a nutshell, ratings, I'm going to give it 0. 0.5 out of 5 looks. I will also give it 0. 0.5 only because I don't want to get a flat zero because that would mean that it's as bad as your highness and it wasn't that bad. Yeah, your highness was almost a negative negative score though. Anything has got to be more than a flat zero in going on it. Well, since Luke's not here to say this, I'm going to say you're both wrong. This film is a dead set Zero out of five Lukes. There is absolutely nothing redeeming about this film at all. About 30 minutes in, I wanted it to end. It felt like it had been going for about four hours already. It's just, this is this is terrible. This is Hollywood at its worst. And I never want to see another film by Tarsum ever again. Well, you certainly um, filled in the space of the harshest critic in the world. Yeah, well, somebody's got to do it when Luke's not here to join us. <laughs> But it, it is, deserves it. It deserves our ire. It's a damn shame. I mean, it's just. I, I think. I think just Tarson was just, just the wrong choice to direct this film. There should. There should have been a. I actually think um, worse than that. I actually think really Hollywood does not have the ability anymore, to make these big epic stories. Yeah, I agree. You know, with with the possible exception of guys like uh, maybe Peter Jackson, with his efforts with Lord of the Rings. You know, but. 
But really, other than that, we, we just seem to be from, you know, from Conan, you know, further back, you know, we just seem to be one disastrous attempt to make an epic fantasy film after another. Yeah, Clash of the Titans remake. Yeah, exactly. It's just we just can't do it. Even when we're remaking a film, we still yeah, can't. Just they still just can't do it. What am I saying? We for we'd be able to do it. <laughs> Hollywood can't do it. They're forgetting the most fundamental thing: the storytelling. Tell a good story, Absolutely. and then worry about your visual effects and, and your cool yeah. stuff later. If you can't yeah. get the hero's journey right, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, it, it's a fundamental of storytelling, and if these script writers aren't going back and learning their fundamentals then they have no right to call themselves script writers. I think my time would have been better spent sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) So coming up will be our war room where we'll be discussing mythology in popular culture where we'll discuss some examples where they did get it right. People who know what they're doing. Exactly. Okay, so for this edition of War Room, we'll be discussing uh, mythology and popular culture. It's uh, a rather large subject, so we're not going to go into every single facet, but uh, mythology is, uh, has its place in popular culture, and it's used in just about every facet of that you can think of. It's, just, it's everywhere. It's unbelievable. And it, I mean, it plays, mythology plays a pretty major role in the development of the, of the human species, as you know, it's, it's where we, we get our epic stories from. It's, it's uh, it's what we base some of our even some of our laws on, and it's it's an explanation for how the universe works. So that's the boring technical sort of uh, ultra nerd way of explaining it all. So instead, we, because we're like not boring ultra nerds, we're going to discuss the fun stuff about mythology and popular culture, so like comics, films, literature, that sort of stuff. Okay, so because uh, I'm controlling this party, bringing the soul that it needs, we're a slave to that man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start off with comics. So the most obvious uh, obvious one for comics would be Thor. So Marvel's version of Thor. There's been versions of Thor in other comics as well. So uh, the uh, was it the Liefeld version? Yeah, there was a uh, Liefeld version in the Extreme Comics. Um, DC bad. actually had a version dating back to the early 1940s. Wow, as well. Um, there you go. But the most uh, the most obvious one would be, of course, Thor. So recently brought to life, portrayed on screen. Uh, by Chris Hemsworth and in the Marvel Thor upcoming Avengers tie and stuff. So the, the Marvel version, of course, because it's you know a comic, you know, aimed for kids and stuff like that, is nowhere near as bad as the mytholo- the real mythological version. Uh, but that's a a good thing. Thor's cool. I quite like <laughs> Thor. He's uh, had his ups and downs. What? I, I like him. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. It's terrific. <laughs> I, I, I like how you said the real mythological. Vision. Well, you know, I, I, I'm a student of mythology, and, and uh, they're the real versions for me. But Thor, the Marvel version, comes a close second. <laughs> well, the Marvel version of Thor is actually a good example of something that you see a lot of in um, popular culture these days when it comes to mythology, and it's this sort of combining aspects of the mythological stories um you know thor is still from asgard son of odin has the hammer you know his evil brother is always plotting and scheming to take over asgard and kill him and so on but they then combine it with science fiction elements as well Mm. um you know and you see that uh, you see that a lot i mean asgard 
for all its, you know, mythological grandeur and everything, also has all this really cool technology. And, you know, for every one, you know, ogre or evil god that Thor fights, there's alien invasions and giant killer robots and time travelers from the future. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that... Um, that they've kind of with Thor and with a lot of the mythology in popular culture, they're kind of updating it for the modern era, hmm. still trying to keep certain aspects of um, of the mythology, but at the same time, yeah, bringing in just you know new bits and pieces from from modern life as well. And uh, yeah, so I mean, mythology and the gods play a pretty, pretty big part in uh, the Marvel universe, especially now, like currently. I mean, where hmm. Asgard's actually fallen to Earth. I don't know if it's actually being replaced yet, but Asgard's on Earth is somewhere so in Texas or something. During the whole siege debacle, God, that story was terrible. <laughs> terrible. But, I mean, the, so the gods are... There's all sorts of other gods in the Marvel Universe. So, of course, you also have Hercules, who's technically a demigod, but that's right. But he's awesome. The Herc series... Uh, recently cancelled. Recently cancelled, but it, great stuff. Uh, by a friend of the show, Fred Van Lente. So, uh, but also... Um, all the other gods show up, so of course the Egyptian gods. I, I really love the, uh, the the times where it's like something really major happens, and the, all the gods have to get together for like a conference. <laughs> you've got like you've got like the meeting of the gods, and Zeus is there, and, and the Egyptian gods show up, and the, you know the Celtic gods and stuff. It's pretty yeah. cool. They have this thing in comics of just sort of mishmashing all of the different <laughs> uh, mythologies together into one giant. DC does it as well. Um, yeah, part of DC comics as well. Well, DC even went one step further and introduced new gods. Yeah, uh, a whole new. Uh, pantheon basically of uh, originally, you know, original creations. Um, like Jack Kirby's Opus, the new gods. Yeah, still, but still using the the classic stories and the classic storytelling and the, the you know the archetypes of, uh, of of the different heroes and villains. That's right. And so you it know, keeps the same really... theme, so you still yeah. have the same the creation. I mean, they're basically just the next generation. Yeah, it's like gods, well, the new generation. Yeah, well, he was very <laughs> very heavily influenced by the work of Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Um, who really has just um, laid down the absolute foundations for all of us on uh, what mythology is and uh, right. mythological storytelling and by sort of finding all the common themes. Um, he's basically laid down, in technical terms, the groundwork that has actually been there since the beginning. That's right. Um, the common threads. Yeah. Excellent. So there's also, of, of course in DC, DC you also have uh, Wonder Woman, who, you know, is... Greek mythology to a T, really. I mean, that absolutely brilliant George Perez run um, that you know, that she's you know, she's fashioned from clay, brought to life, you know, and then eventually she becomes a goddess herself at some point later mm-hmm. on. Not in the George Perez run, but and it's just and it's I and mean, her whole her whole backstory is Greek mythology. I mean, you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And she often her uh, main nemesis is uh, Ares, mm-hmm. who just looks mad. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like now, but he looks mad. But uh, yes, well, in, the in, in our new DCU, um, Wonder Woman is actually not made of clay and no. powered by the gods. She's actually the daughter, I believe, of Zeus. Yeah, which is once again yet another classic uh, <laughs> mythology. That's uh, Zeus. He Zeus. got around. He certainly did get around. <laughs> he wasn't shy of a bit of uh, abduction either, was he? he? Was just like, yeah, you're a bit of all right. <laughs> Off we go. Yeah. If he had to transform himself into a bull or some kind of weird or a swan, or a swan, or, he'd do it. <laughs> he'd do it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know whether to respect that or uh, I think it's a bit wrong. I don't know. Well, it's kind of disturbing when you think about <laughs> it, but, but that's really what the Greek gods were all about. 
mythology also, I mean, the actual myths themselves that we that we all know, so Greek, Roman, and all that sort of stuff. Norse. Um, Norse. Yeah, so they, they get referenced in comics, but you also have mythological archetypes in comics themselves. So it'd be pretty hard to say that uh, Superman is you know, not a sort of mythological sort of figure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have no doubt that you know, a thousand years' time, Superman will be referenced as like a myth sort of thing, there's, which would be awesome. There's some interesting um, writing from Grant Morrison in relation to that. Um, yeah. He equates Superman to a sun god. Exactly. Um, you know, in the in the in the same style as uh, Ra or Apollo, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually it's a good metaphor. Yes. Um, he really is the representation of um, just classic heroism, yeah. um, embodied in for a modern era. That's right. Superman Returns even goes so far as to give us like a Christ sort of myth analogy. Mm. So, it's... do you think in a few thousand years, maybe the Christian gods will also be considered? Mythological. Well, they're considered mythological now. Not by people who still go to church. <laughs> there's, well, there's... A, there's a pretty, there's a pretty growing uh, sort of section of society that consider that the, there's there's really no difference between the Christian stories now and you know old Greek and Roman and uh, much of the the Christ iconography um, and the. Um, stories and things that are um, equated to him actually predate him by a couple of thousand years. They have, um, going back they to, have cherry-picked a lot of the stuff. They have, yeah, Recycled going back to everything. sort of the, the Babylonian and Mesopotamian and Phoenician uh, mythologies. Um, there are a lot of similarities uh, between Christ and Gilgamesh mm-hmm. and also between, strangely enough, Noah and mm-hmm. Gilgamesh as well. So, um, yeah, so you can see sort of but that, that's really just the, I suppose, the oral tradition that um, that mythology brings with it, is that these stories are just passed down from generation to generation. And what began as, you know, obviously oral tradition, storytelling, that was changed over the time has then carried through to today, where we see, you know, really, um, mythology is the, as you said, mythology is the origins of storytelling. Hmm. And those stories are now being told in characters like Superman, are fulfilling the the role that you know the classical heroes would have done thousands of years ago. It's, it's no accident that uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are considered the Trinity. Hmm. So that's uh, that's pretty much comics in, in a nutshell. So let's move <laughs> on to film, and uh, of course, the mythology is is ripe for uh, dramatization in film and uh, TV series. So. I mean, instead of coming up with your own idea, you might as well take uh, <laughs> the, the myths themselves and put them on the screen, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm cool with that. Unless, well, of course, you're immortals. Yeah, in which case you just where, take a few names. <laughs> <laughs> you just take the names and just screw it up bad. But, uh, <laughs> we've already discussed that, so we'll move on. So let's talk about some of the ones where we actually do get it right. So uh, Clash of the Titans, and I'm talking the Harry Hamlin version, not the, uh, not the remake. Um, Clash of the Titans is an interesting one in that um, it kind of mixes things that weren't even part of Greek mythology (laughs) (laughs) into Greek mythology Uh, like the Kraken for example which was actually a giant squid (laughs) I mean so Clash of the Titans the the original it's not slavish to the actual myths themselves and yet still manages to be entertaining I mean it's it's not a good film by any stretch but it's entertaining at least Mm. whereas then the remake does the same thing let's face it I mean it basically it takes the basic idea and then twists Mm. around and plays around with it and yet turns out to be utter rubbish how does that work? What's the deal well, there? It really comes down to, I mean, the classic tales are there. Hmm. The ability of 
you know, the screenwriters and the filmmakers to actually translate those stories into something watchable is really where the problem lies. Um, Plus, some acting certainly helps. Sam, oh, ab- Sam absolutely. absolutely. He's just awful. Um, get to work. But, I mean, they have done a pretty good job of translating the Greek stories. I mean, you look at um, Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, one of my favourites. Yeah, Great absolutely. Stuff. Um, oh, who, who doesn't love the uh, skeleton fight? Well, look, it takes, it takes some liberties... Yeah. with the original stories. Huh. But at the same time, it keeps all the core elements that you need to be telling the story of Jason. You I, know? Mean, I think that's the secret. I mean, as long as you keep the core elements... And focus on the storytelling. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Don't focus on showing off your special effects. Yeah. But it's interesting that, um, really, it's more than anything else, it's the Greek mythology that is translated into film. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of films based on North, Norse mythology. Um Thor. Other than Thor, but even <laughs> Thor is based more on the comic. Yeah, based on the comic uh, Thor, yeah. yeah, which once again, even Thor, once again, it it brings in the science fiction element to kind of offset the mythology and update the mythology. It'd be kind of hard to make a Thor film now. I mean, Marvel would just sue. Even if you're doing the original Thor, they'd find some way. <laughs> they weren't happy with the extreme version, which is understandable because the extreme version is terrible. <laughs> True, but the great thing is you can't copyright mythology. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is good, because then most of Sandman would have been uh, lost. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> uh, I love that bit in Sandman where he's, he's decided on who to give the key to. And he has the dinner party. Oh, uh, with all and, the different gods. And Thor's there. And, oh, it's just awesome stuff. And, well, and Bast. And... First time I was really exposed to Thor as a character was actually through Douglas Adams. Well, that's true, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in Dirk Gently. In Dirk and, Gently. Yeah, where he's, where, is that where he's like switching the lights off? Or no, no, it's, um, the woman's walking down the street. Yeah, the woman's... The street lights go off, yeah. Yeah, he's and, switch, yeah he's switching and, the lights And Odin's a funny little man who lives in a nursing home and likes clean sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that story, actually. It's quite good. Yeah, until it, until it gets towards the end and then it dies. But uh, it does bring a good, home a good point, though. The great thing with uh, mythological characters is that they're so ingrained into our psyche that you can bring them into something like Dirk Gently's and there's an instant recognition from the audience you know you know we know who Thor is I mean even before Um, I read the story I knew who Thor was just by flipping through mythology encyclopedias and whatnot but the the first time um, I'd read anything substantial with him as a character in and the, the reason why those scenes work so well is because... Yeah, you do have that knowledge of Thor, even if it's just the most basic understanding of the character. And it's just it's, it's amazing just, just how ingrained mythology is in us as a society. I mean, exactly it's, it's, right. I mean, it's, it, like I said in my, my preamble, it's just, it's, it defines us as a people for the stories that we tell and have passed mm-hmm. through the generations. And they, I mean, they, they tell us... They, they give us our sort of our moral compass, I suppose. Like, exactly. Don't don't be like Zeus. <laughs> be more like Superman. <laughs> be like more like Superman. <laughs> so of course, I mean, in film, I mean, you, of course, the Clash of the Titans and Jason the Argonauts are sort of direct translations with you know a few liberties taken. But what about stuff like um, Star Wars, which is essentially mythology for our generation? Really, it's essentially, and it's it basically takes the the concept of the hero's journey mm. and just throws it on into space, and that's pretty much it. I mean, the, Star Wars is the hero's journey. Mm as a textbook sort of example yeah. it's like here's how you do it yeah. it's the farm boy who meets the kindly old wizard no. you know hooks up with the dashing rogue and goes to rescue the princess from the castle <laughs> but part of the reason Star Wars does work so well is because we do recognise the universality of the story that's right you know it, it resonates with us because it is such a classic story to begin with 
And then, of course, he's updated and thrown in all the cool stuff that, uh, you know, us sci-fi nerds love, so... Lightsabers, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that we're seeing um, quite a bit of, and we see a little bit of it in Thor, um, but it's this idea that of uh, mythology as science fiction, Hmm. that, um, you know, very much the the Von Daniken approach, you know, that, um, you know, God's... And aliens from other dimensions or from space or... Yeah, that, that, that they're actually, you know, essentially the same thing. Like I said, we saw a little bit of it in Thor, um, where they talk about how, um, you know, science and magic are effectively one and the same. And that the, the classic stories that are told are actually stories of these alien beings. Um, but the, the, the things that your primitive society based their myths on. Exactly right. And the real sort of classic example of that, I think, in recent times has actually been Stargate. Uh-huh. Where effectively science fiction is mythology. Yeah. Yes, Stargate. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but really, really liked the series. And so Stargate uses the gods as a basis for their story, and the premise is that um, the, back in ancient times, the aliens came to Earth and ruled, and that's where we get our myths from. Based our myths on actual real life beings who we come to know as enemies in our times now. We, we meet these aliens and we're fighting the aliens. Apophis is uh, the enemy we come across in the beginning of the Stargate series. And as we go along, we meet other gods that are also evil gold enemies. <laughs> uh, these are the gold, of, of, if, for those of you who have not seen the series, a little worm-like creatures that live in the host of a human being and control them and live for many hundreds and hundreds of years. And they portray the Egyptian they, gods. They portray the Egyptian gods, yes. Uh, but we also come across the Norse gods, the Asgard, who are portrayed as the little grey men we all are very familiar with from other aspects of culture. Um, it's interesting that they're then, in mythology, they're like you know, big, burly Norse warriors. Yeah. Uh, really, they're just three-foot... They're you know, little, little three-foot aliens, things. but they are incredibly powerful because they're fastly technologically superior so they've sort of evolved to a point where they don't need uh, huge bodies to protect themselves because they've got technology that will do it for them it's pretty cool stuff yeah and there you see really basically the multiple strands of mythology combining with you know the work of guys like von daniken and uh, gibson and those guys who have been positing this idea that uh you know, that the gods were actually aliens for, you know, the last few decades. And then, of course, Stargate has then brought it all together and, and brought it into the popular culture zeitgeist. It's... It, it sort of it tries to explain a lot of the, the myths we've had in the past, like mm. what were the actual pyramids used for? Well, we, yeah. as we know now, they're, they were launching pads for alien ships. Fantastic. Daniel Jackson was <laughs> right. Alien versus Predator, they're... Uh, uh, Temples to worship the predators themselves, and then train young predators to hunt aliens. Is to, oh, that is terrible. But uh, there are some. I mean, there are some people that actually uh, think that the gods as aliens is actually real. And it's like it's absolutely, true and, absolutely. And that, uh, aliens came, and you know, like as I mentioned before, the chariot of the gods and all that sort of stuff. Or if you're David Icke, you think that they're uh, you know, seven foot tall lizards that uh, pretend they're humans. Ah, uh, yes, David Icke and his conspiracy theory of conspiracy theories. If they're seven feet tall, how are they five foot tall English kings and queens? I don't get it. It's David Icke. <laughs> Logic is thrown out the window when I mean, it comes I understand, to his the, I understand the V visitor deal where they've got the makeup on and stuff. I'm cool with that. I'm happy to go with that. <laughs> how do they shriek into the smaller form? Just don't the, the thing is with aliens um, being the gods in the past, that, that 
means that our ancient peoples had no imagination of their own. They think thought of this stuff up because they've based it on stuff that they've seen. You're they, totally they, right. They haven't, they haven't made stuff up. You know the one, the one scene in the Transformers movie that I hate the most is the one where they fight, they're talking about Megatron and how they found him in the snow and how that all of our technology was all retroactively engineered from him. And it's like, well, we're all dumb. We have no idea. We couldn't have thought of Velcro on our own. No. We had to retro-engineer it from Megatron's corpse. All of our technology, including the wheel? Terrible! No, this, well, this is post the wheel. <laughs> well, that's very, that's very much the the alien, the gods as aliens idea. It does really rob us of everything, doesn't it? Wasn't that how the American Humans military operates? They just, they just steal stuff from um, Section 52. <laughs> area, no, area from Area 51. Area, area 51. <laughs> Section 52 is the warehouse where they keep all the stuff they keep, the Velcro and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that makes Velcro. Warehouse 13. Just on a side note, the scene, the scene I hate the most from Transformers 2 is the robot testicles. Anyway, they move it on. The so. warehouse, <laughs> warehouse, warehouse 13 is also another TV series that um, brings in mythological stuff. It yeah. does, but yeah, it deals more with more real of, world artifacts. Yeah, in a quirky kind of way. In a quirky way. Yeah. It's a cool show. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got literature. Now, we won't delve too much into, like, you know, real mythology literature sort of stuff. But, uh, uh, of course, you've got stuff like uh, Lord of Light, which we covered in a previous podcast, which deals with Indian mythology yeah. and uh, stuff like that. Um, American Gods? American Gods, brilliant. Excellent. <laughs> That's the best you can give me? It's brilliant. What do <laughs> you, you want to throw in? Read, read, have a look at the website. I reviewed it on there. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, well, really, uh, literature is uh, what's brought a lot of these stories uh, down to us once the oral traditions were written down and we've seen uh, how stories developed, you know, um, Parsifal and how it developed into the story of King Arthur through writers like Mallory. And then that, of course, then has brought us down into the modern day where we see films like King Arthur, Excalibur. So there's really literature was what carried these stories through into the modern era and allowed them to become part of popular culture to begin with. And uh, now we're seeing that in the translation of a lot of these stories into movies mm. or the bastardization of a lot of these stories <laughs> as with immortals. God, that was terrible. <laughs> Zero out of five. What a complete waste of time. Anyway, so that's uh, the New Culture Podcast uh, wrap-up of mythology and popular culture. Obviously, there's a a hell of a lot we didn't touch on. So Hercules we... and Xena, we didn't talk. Oh yeah, Hercules oh, no. and Xena, the TV show. We forgot about Hercules and Xena. What an absolute disgrace! <laughs> anyway, there's two TV shows. Hercules and Xena. <laughs> Check them out. I think the, the point there is that I'm sure that everybody can think of dozens of examples of oh, uh, yeah. where mythology has, you know, come through in popular culture. Yeah, so, so like I said, we've uh, we've missed a heap of stuff. So check out the show notes, and uh, by all means, hit the interwebs. I mean, it's just it's everywhere. So I hope you enjoy that. So uh, let's move on to coming soon. Okay, so coming soon is where we uh, list the films that are coming out in the period between each episode. Well, at least a couple of them. I'm not going to list all of them. Uh, so December 8th sees the Shrek character Puss in Boots get his own movie. Um, that's pretty cool. I might see yeah. it. It stars our cat Fang. <laughs> he does look a lot it's like a... Fang. But that's one reason why I wouldn't see the film. <laughs> It's poor thing. I don't know. It just seems like a franchise that's run its course for me. Oh, the movies, the main movies themselves, definitely have. Shrek Three was abysmally bad, but mm. uh, I always liked Puss in Boots. I thought it was pretty cool, and it deals with how he eventually meets up with Shrek and that sort of stuff. So, 
Might be good, who knows. Uh, December 15 sees the release of both the new Mission Impossible film, Ghost Protocol, which looks really cool, uh, and Lars von Trier's latest offering, Melancholia, which doesn't really interest me at all. Uh, Lars von Trier is an interesting filmmaker. He's a bit hit and miss at times. It's uh, a fine line between brilliance and pretension, and he sometimes crosses that line, but I'm interested. I'll still see it. Sometimes. Just sometimes. Every time. <laughs> Uh, and as, as usual, NCP's favourite cinema, The Aster, has a great selection of films showing in the next two weeks. Uh, check out their full listings at www.astertheatre.net.au. And now onto the competition. Don't forget that we have a competition running where you can rate and review us on iTunes for a chance to win a $50 iTunes voucher. The entry is closed December 17, so you've still got a bit of time to go, like another two weeks. So as I just mentioned, you can email us at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Or additionally, you can also post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or you can tweet us at nerdculturecast. And you can leave a comment on any of our posts on the website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. I only get Richard to say it because I forgot what the website was. Uh, I'm getting old. And and every time you say it, it surprises me and I don't think it's... (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes to win that $50 iTunes voucher. Tune in next episode for our Dust Jacket on Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy by Douglas Adams and our War Room on Australian Comics with special guest star Jason Franks. Looking forward to that. He's an alright guy. Meh. He's okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's 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 a good man. So looking forward to that. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host, David. With me are Crystal. Yay. Bye. And Richard. I am part of popular culture and mythology. <laughs> a god. Amongst men. <laughs> and uh, we'll all say goodbye for, for Luke in his absence. Hang on. You're all wrong. <laughs> that's pretty much it, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's... all wrong. We, we don't really need him here. Just someone... <laughs> we could just record him saying that, and that's pretty much all he contributes <laughs> to the show anyway, so... But I won't tell him that when he's actually on the show. You're just wrong. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.